rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. Well, happy John Sheebon week to you and everybody. Was All Souls written by John Sheebon? Yes. It was co-written by him well, that, with a story by somebody else, but yes. That that explains a lot. Yeah. That explains a lot. I I I feel like this is the follow-up to the entire Emily thing that no one yes. ever really asked for. Like and the X-Files does this a lot. It gives us things that we don't really ask for, and usually they're really good. And this week it was just here's a lazy grab bag of Catholicism mm. mixed with Jillian Anderson crying. Like and <laughs> Like, it reminded me in some ways of Dogma, where it's just, which again, around this time, which was a bunch of, here's a bunch of, you know, half-assed Catholic mythology, but that movie being a comedy where that sort of patchwork is part of the atmosphere of this, this just feels so half-assed. Like, I really love the theme of Scully's Catholicism. I think it's a very interesting counterpoint to much of the show, which is dealing with the supernatural in one specific way, usually. And I find these episodes take it in a very twisted direction, which I, again, find very fascinating. You would think that, okay, here's a deep Scully Catholicism episode, but it just sucked. It just didn't really go anywhere or do anything, and... It was cheesy. It was so cheesy. It is cheesy. I had I had written down on my notes that the effects for the face at the end were extraordinarily yeah. cheesy and bad, and I was wondering if that was intentional. I, I don't know if it was or not. But to me, what is so annoying about All Souls is how cynical it is and how cynical it treats uh, Scully's Catholicism. Mm. As you said, this is one of the more beautiful parts of the X-Files. I think that... The X-Files is a show that takes Catholicism seriously, or at least takes the the elements of faith in Catholicism seriously. Yeah. And I, you know, as I have said before, I am no fan of Catholicism, but I appreciate that about it because it's very easy to use people's sincere faith as a punching bag to be sort of like a Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris person mm. and say, oh, you're, you're stupid for believing this. But, you know, the show, this is not that show. But at the same time, this episode is very cynical about it because it is using the strong emotional connection we have developed to this like faith-based storytelling of Scully and doing absolutely nothing with it. It's just, hey, I'm going to make you feel something and I can control how you feel but it's not going to add up to anything and by the end of it, you're going to be really mad. Yeah, usually the... Catholicism is a symbol for an ineffable truth on this show, just as aliens are a symbol for an ineffable truth. And again, I like this is a mirror of Mulder's story because it is a character who, partially motivated now by loss, use, dives into faith in something that the rest of the characters can't understand, can't really follow, and the ways in which Scully humors or goes with Mulder's relationship to the supernatural, the way that Mulder refuses to go here with Scully, those kind of things are really interesting themes from that. And this uh, touches on some of those themes, but 
Yeah, it, it misses the point and turns it into a boogeyman story that's not that interesting. I, I, I can forgive that you're ultimately going to make a monster story the thing that you hang your exploration of faith and truth on, but at least make it be a coherent and cool monster story. They couldn't do that. Well, right. And I, and I also think, I mean, I agree with all of that. And I think that if you are going to do this, there, there's a way to do it well, and there's a way to do it badly. And All Souls does it badly, of course. But the other part of it is that I don't necessarily think that you need the, the monster of the week elements of this plot or, or this story to, to tell the story that they seem to be interested in, which is Scully both rediscovering her faith yeah. and finally, if not at least coming to terms with the you know, profound grief that she has over the death of Emily of, of sort of coming to terms with it. Because I think one of the, one of the smarter things in this episode, and I, I honestly think it's all due to Gillian Anderson. It's not due to the writing is how you get a sense that part of what, part of why her grief is coming out now mm. is because she felt a little bit guilty about feeling grief this strongly because she didn't know Emily. She only, you know, was aware of her existence briefly and then she died, but it, it, it represents a real loss to her. And I think that she felt a little weird about it. Yeah. I mean, there's the moment when she's talking to the priest and she says, Oh, I lost my daughter recently. And for a second, I was like, wait, daughter, what the, Oh, right. Emily, because this is not something that Skelly talks about. Obviously, there's no easy way in everyday conversation she's able to mention her daughter because everybody everybody is going to have about a dozen follow-up questions to that. And yeah, it's something that she – it's weird to think that she has a right to this grief, but she absolutely does. But at the same time, that was just such a weird and fucked up thing, and it was such a brief moment really it was only a couple weeks that that arc was right and i mean like that's but to be clear though i mean i i, I agree with you that I, I i i think scully has a right yeah. to her grief and scully has a right to to whatever feelings she is feeling and anybody has a right to whatever emotions they are feeling and but like make an episode about that yeah you, know, you, you don't need to hang it on this like weird idea of the, i mean i'm not honestly for someone that grew up catholic you're gonna have to help me out here because I never really paid much attention to all of the sort of like weird Catholic, you know, uh, metaphor and weird Catholic the myths more, and things like that. I mean, this stuff is out of mass. I mean, and they even mentioned this in, in the episode. This is out of very weird apocrypha stuff that isn't really recognized. This is not you – know, this story is not in the Bible as we know it. It's other writings. It's out of tradition. Um, it's the kind of – like, for example, a lot of the Catholic interpretation of hell at this point or the popular interpretation of hell comes from the Divine Comedy, comes from Dante's Inferno, which is not a religious text, which is not considered to have any religious uh, weight to it. It's not theological in any, any way. It's a creative poem. Uh, that's kind of, Generally, texts like this are considered along the same lines, uh, a, a creative work, a work that's inspired by it, a work of mythology surrounding the religion, uh, partially based on it, partially based on tradition, but again, as they say in the episode, this is not something that's a real teaching. It's not part of Catholic dogma, really. Um, and I don't really, I, I know what about the Nephilim, what the episode says, you know? 
Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I, I totally get you. I mean, at the same time, like there's a lot of things that that are not contained within the New Testament that Catholicism yeah. uh, wholeheartedly supports. Of course, um, like you know, for example, the personhood of homosexuals. Um, but you know, or the rights of women, but <laughs> uh, or not abusing little children. Um, I could I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Um, but I but I think that. I, it's especially weird to to hang an episode on Scully, sort of the redis. And it, this is not the episode that that she is rediscovering her faith, right? I mean, this is something that she has been doing, yeah. um, for a little while. I mean, we haven't seen it happening, yeah. but we saw the beginnings of it at the end of the Emily two parter, yeah. And now the episode states to us outright that she has started slowly to to go back to to mass, again. yeah. You know, that the the priest is noticing that she's there. She's dipping her toes and, back into the water of her faith and all that yeah right right and so that's fine i'm with that i think that that's an interesting facet to to scully's character but where i think the episode really falls down is it it's it's finally we're getting an episode that is explicitly about scully's rediscovery of her catholic Mm. faith and her her faith in god and it links it to something that is not within as you say the Bible, it's not within, you know, established, uh, I'm going to anger some people, established Catholic canon. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> This episode, in a lot of ways, needs to be about Scully's journey from her, her trenches phase of going back to Mass. In other words, she's had a major grief, she's had major stress, and she is going to church to deal with that. That is a that that is a gut reaction that is something terrible happened and i'm using this as a comfort um this episode needs to be about her getting to the point when the initial grief is she's starting to process it she's starting to accept it and she is going into but she's still sticking with the faith as a more kind of mature uh version of that faith again rather than just i need something out of religion i i need some comfort out of this and now that I've dealt with this. I don't need it anymore. To the point of there is a deeper truth that I am finding there. I have experienced some amount of divine revelation, and this is the path to that that I understand. Um, and the divine revelation that we have in this is stupid in this episode. It's that there's a devil that's trying to steal people, and there's an angel that's saving people, and you know, I wonder which one got who. Right, and I guess that's really what it comes down to is like why I I don't I don't know why the episode picks this weird apocryphal element of somewhat Catholic myth that isn't even really Catholic. It, it's it's I mean the I mean they have a, they have a fucking scene in this episode where the priest has to sit down and like explain what is going on to Scully, and that is never a good thing for a television show or a movie to have to do. And and I don't – it's very confused about what it is trying to use this for. It, I, I, I mean, am, am I supposed to take it – I mean, you could – there's a there's an interpretation of this episode where Scully goes off and joins the weird upside-down cross church because she has had a really strong, you know, religious moment about the, the truth of the upside-down cross church instead of the Catholic church. And – I, I just I don't I don't really get what they're doing here. Yeah, there there's a 
again, we don't really know the religious backgrounds of the writers. We, uh, I've assumed that Chris Carter grew up Catholic because this is an element of the show, although I don't know if he's the one who introduced that theme, but this episode feels like it was written by people who aren't really speaking the language fluently. Uh, again, when somebody who doesn't grow up in the United States making a reference to pop culture that's slightly off. That's that's not as popular where I come from. I don't really know what you're referring to. This feels like somebody who looked through a bunch of weird Catholic mythology and saw one story as good as any other and picked this one because they thought it sounded cool when this is a weird-ass story that nobody knows. Right, exactly. It's it's a weird story that no one knows. It has really nothing to do with Catholicism. And we we get this strange thing where I, I, I guess what they're trying to say is that Scully is, is using this as an opportunity to establish her faith as true. I, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with this because I think that the show has been the show has been moving in a direction with Scully's faith for a little while mm. that I'm not sure that I really like, which is that it is it is making her believe more strongly because she's getting evidence that God exists or something. Yeah. And that's really strange to me. I mean, that's not what faith is. And I, I question this episode in particular because this you know the story of the four girls that that are being murdered by this social worker demon in disguise trying to be rescued by uh, what's the guy's name gregory um it, it's all very half-assed and i i don't really get a sense of i don't really get a sense of why this story and why now you know it, it doesn't really hang together very well and i think that you know, I, I was reading online, you know, doing a little research in preparation for this, that um, this was originally a story about Mulder and Scully and Angels, and they decided to sort of like graft on the Scully-Emily stuff. And I, I think you can really see that. I don't I don't know what the original version of this story yeah. would have been. It might have been not very good, but at least it wouldn't have been kind of insulting. I mean, I, I can... I would be very interested in a story where Mulder and Scully are both dealing with the same thing and Mulder finds a very coherent and concise way of explaining things from a scientific point of view and Scully's able to find a clear and concise way of explaining it from a religious point of view. And again, The X-Files is very comfortable giving us ambiguous narratives, giving us conflicting narratives, and... I think that conflicting narrative would be what the show is really trying to get at. That, again, there is this truth, and that science and religion are different ways of explaining that truth to ourselves, but that are going in very different and sometimes incompatible, sometimes compatible ways. But uh, this episode is saying that, well, religion makes sense because there's religious monsters running around. Sure. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, well, yeah, and I, I and, and I think the other thing too is that that uh, uh, this is also something that the show has been doing for a while. But but Mulder and Scully in these, uh, you know, this is an episode about Scully's Catholicism. 
um, have have really been reversing themselves yeah. and sort of swapping places because I think another element of this episode, which which just leaves such a bad taste in my mouth, is the fact that once again Mulder's is just being a huge asshole for for basically no reason. Yeah, and you know and, he's not really listening to scully he's he's poo-pooing her ideas he's basically saying oh whatever fuck you like this is not actually happening et cetera, et cetera. and i i don't again i don't know why this is they why they think this is a good look for the character yeah i mean i can see a again smulder is somebody who knows that there are cases that hit you on a very personal level and that you can go a little deep into and that you can go off the deep end on and that your judgment becomes compromised because of your connection to this. He knows full well and he is worried that this is happening to her. Again, he this the, the resonances with Emily's death are very obvious to him. He recognizes that this is a deep personal case for her and she herself even says at one point that she brought him there to temper her feelings and to kind of be that safety net and I can see that need there. I can also see Mulder should be a little less of a dick about it. Right. And 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 you say okay, well well Scully needs him. Like why though? I mean, he's not being comforting, he's not being kind, yeah. he's not being helpful even. He's just being a, a, you know, a pedantic asshole and I mean, this is an element of Mulder's character. We have talked about this before. I I I don't know how much we need to necessarily talk about it again in, in conjunction with all souls, but it is something that's there. And, you know, especially in, in, in scenes where, you know, for example, the first time that Mulder appears in the episode uh, where Scully calls him on the phone and, and he calls her back from uh, a payphone, and he's, you know, Oh, I'm very busy, blah, 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 and he's running into a porn theater. Um, it's just stuff like that, which is like, does he care about her at all? I mean, <laughs> I I don't know. And yes, Mulder's a complicated person. And yes, Scully is a complicated person and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, there is a there's a real element that that is kind of portrayed in this episode in, in as well as other ones that he is just being very, very uh, loose with his emotions and loose with his words. And I don't know why Scully would want him around, frankly. Well, what I find funny about that is that she asks him to to look a record up or something, and he says, "Yeah, yeah, I'll do it." And he goes into the th- goes to his masturbation session, and he is uh, going to take care of this in the morning. But I'm thinking back to Bad Blood when she performs the autopsy. She finally sits down at the end of a long day, and Mulder's like, "Nope, you got to do another autopsy now," and he kind of expects her to do the part of the case immediately. There is no less uh, danger in that case than this case, in a way. Like, people are still as at risk of being murdered, and the clues are still that urgent that he doesn't. Re- it doesn't really justify him hanging out at, at the strip club for the rest of the evening. Yeah, no, I, that, that's actually a really good point. And, and I also think that you see that in the next episode, the Pine, the Pine Bluff variant, where you know, Mulder's essentially acting like a, a, a distant asshole and Scully questions him on it. But but I don't know why, because the, he so often yeah. acts like this that I don't know that she would really think that anything was up. Uh, but we can talk about that more when we talk about the Pine, the Pine Bluff variant, um, which also incidentally is hard to say. The uh, Pine Bluff variant, the Pine Bluff variant, the Pine Bluff variant, the Pine Bluff variant. It is so easy to say. Oh, God. Now Bloody Mary is going <laughs> to podcast. Great job, Richard. So, 
The one question I had, and this is me not recognizing actors or having much of a memory, but so the episode where they're at Thanksgiving and Scully's mother invites the priest and just happens to sit her next to Scully so that the priest can say, oh, would you like to come back to me? Was that the same priest in this episode? I will plead the fifth on that because all old priests look the same to me. Yeah, uh, but I feel like that's a missed opportunity. I mean, it would make a nice bit of continuity if that's the same priest who ends up asking her on this, but I don't know. I mean, we can say it's the same priest if it'll make you feel better. I, I, I see no evidence that it's not the same priest. How about that? I see no evidence that it's not the same priest, so it is the same priest. Although, don't you think if it was the same priest, he would they, they would remind us with a very casual, oh, I know you barely wanted to talk to me at Thanksgiving, ha ha ha, but I'm glad you've you know, ma- managed to make your way back in her. Because he, you know, he does talk about her coming back to mass it would be perfect but let's yeah let, that is true let's say it was why not well let's give this episode well, one little that, bit of I mean, credit that, <laughs> yeah yeah one one little bit of credit well and that actually raises another another point that that i can we can touch on briefly which is that um you know you mentioned earlier in, in, in the podcast that this a lot of the catholic stuff in this episode feels like it feels like it's written by people that are not Catholic and, and didn't grow up Catholic and, and don't really understand Catholicism or know much about it. It's sort of translated knowledge or, or read knowledge, and uh, th- and this is also a, this is also a problem that a lot of television shows and movies have. I feel where they they think that confession is like therapy, mm. and it's not. Like, I mean, I haven't been to confession since I was a kid, so maybe it's different when you're an adult. I have no idea. But I mean, if you want to, if you want to talk to a priest about your problems, you can just go talk to a priest about your problems. It doesn't have to be in a confessional, and yeah, a confessional is like usually a pretty short thing. It's just like, hey, I did this. Hey, I did that. Uh, okay, go do five hail marys. Do you want absolution? Do you not want absolution? Like, it's not this sort of like let's have a let's have a back and forth about how you fucked up. Yeah, and frankly. I've never been in a confessional with the screen. I those are kind of old school. It's I, I've never been in a confessional. I when I had confession when I was a kid, and this was Christ yeah. in the '90s, uh, so like over 20 years ago now. Um, we just had it like on the altar. Yeah, I, I, I well, not on not on the altar, but you no, know no, I mean, I mean like, it's the, in and any the a confessional is only a. Is only it's only exists for privacy, like. But you more it's more the more modern way of doing it is you and the priest are just it's just a tiny room with two chairs, and you and the priest are sitting face to face, and you talk for about five minutes or so, and you say a prayer together, and that's that's that, yeah. Right, right. It, it, it's a very that's the thing is like a lot of this feels like a very old fashioned interpretation of Catholicism, which and the it, it's all. Yeah. And that's very traditional because, yeah, because the iconography of old Catholicism is because the iconography of old Catholicism is so dramatic. It is dramatic to have this screen in between, and you can do all these sorts of fun things with the lighting on their faces and all of that. It, it looks cool. I know that's the reason. Uh, you have nuns dressed in nun outfits all the time, even though most nowadays do not. Things like that, just because again, it looks it looks cool. Yeah, and it's, it's it's an easy visual shortcut for this as a religious person or whatever. Yeah. 
All right, well, I think that's all we can say about All Souls. We will move on to the Pine Bluff variant in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, I do want to take an opportunity to remind you that this podcast is supported by you, the listener. If you would like to give us a little bit of your money each and every month, you can go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Check out our tiers and give now. All right, let's talk about the Pine Bluff variant, which I think is uh, a much better episode. I like this episode a lot. Uh, and it's also written by John Sheban. So I think that I have a theory. Are you ready? I'm ready. John Sheban is not good at writing X-Files episodes. <laughs> yeah. Because this is not really an X-Files episode. This is an episode of like another show. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. There is nothing particularly X-Files-y about this. Um, I... Uh, I think they do a decent job of selling this, the fact that this is Mulder and Scully dealing with this by calling back to that conference where he said, oh, well, the government is making all this happen. Yes, a weird militia group might see that conference and decide that he's sympathetic to their cause. And you know, let, let, let's let accept that a paranoid person is going to try and recruit a mole in the government. Uh, let, let's accept that. But beyond that, I bought it, but yeah, it feels like a crossover with a different show for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this this feels like a very taut action thriller. You can really see this blown out to an hour and a half or two hours, and it would make a really good movie. I I like this episode a lot. I think that, you know, we, we've talked a little bit before about how The X-Files doesn't really do non-supernatural or non-conspiracy-related uh, you know, stuff very often. But when it does it, it's usually pretty good. And I think that this is no exception to that. Yeah, um, it is. And it is still a conspiracy story, even if it isn't the conspiracy that we've dealing with. It's still in the wheelhouse of the X-Files. It's not like it's a completely left field thing. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, I, I think that while you could very easily make this a, a standalone episode of something or, or, or a movie, uh, as an X-File episode, I think it does still make sense. It does still make sense with the world as established. And I also like how smart it is about using previous events, namely Mulder's insane rant at the UFO conference, to uh, highlight exactly how that would be used how a, how a militia group like this could possibly uh, contact him and think that he is a, a friend of theirs and for him to really use that and for the FBI and the CIA to, to use that. I, you know, I don't know that this episode has a lot of, of metaphor involved in it. This really is plot and this really is mood and it really is on rails and it just goes and goes and goes until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it all ties together very well, which I think is, you know, again, I'm trying not to be too mean to John Sheban, but it's surprising that this was written by John Sheban because this episode actually has an ending. It doesn't <laughs> fall apart in the last 10 minutes. And and that's why I think that maybe he's just not very good at writing X-Files episodes where he's apparently a very good writer. He can break a story. He can construct a story. Uh when it doesn't have anything to do with the supernatural because I don't know if he can't come up with an ending. I don't know if he I don't, loses interest. I, I don't know, but I don't know if, he doesn't yeah. lose interest in this. I don't know if it's a case of a broken clock is right twice a day, though, because it could just be that this was the one story that he had in him. But just <laughs> as 
like I watched Paper Hearts and I said, okay, this is the first great Vince Gilligan episode. This feels like he's finally figured out. He, he, he was close. He was approaching it, but he's finally clicked and figured out what his voice is. And again, since then, Vince Gilligan episodes have been awesome. While this might be the first good John Sheeban episode, I don't feel like, oh, good, John Sheeban's finally figured it out. He's He needed a little time to figure out how to write these kinds of stories, figure out what kinds of stories worked for him, and I don't feel like that's happened yet. I feel like the next John Sheeban episode is going to be crap again. Yeah, I don't remember the next one he wrote. I, I could look it up, but let's let's leave it as a surprise so you Yay! don't like decide to disappear so we stop recording tuning in. Um speaking of which, like, I don't really know like what has Vince Gilligan been up to this season? I know he wrote a few episodes, but he doesn't seem to really be writing as many as he used to. I don't know. Is he doing movie um, stuff, maybe? Uh, I think he writes. No, not really. He didn't work on the movie. He writes the next episode, but uh, I mean, um, he's which is pretty good. Uh, he was producer, though. It could just be that with all the movie stuff, he was taking on more production roles. For example, Chris Carter's dealing with the movie, so he's dealing with the television, and he just doesn't have as much time to write episodes. Could be as simple as that. It's po- it's possible. Yeah. Well, I just looked it up. He wrote six episodes this season, so thirty percent of them. So apparently, it's just total confirmation bias. Okay, then moving ah! on. Um. I so I guess I want to talk about Mulder and Scully because I mentioned it earlier and I think that this is I don't know to what degree this was used deliberately or not but I do think that this episode does a good job of playing around with you couldn't do this episode in season two right it just wouldn't have worked because the characters didn't know each other well enough and I'm not just talking about Mulder and Scully I'm talking about Skinner as well you know that that scene where Scully walks into the office and, and uh, you know, Skinner yeah. and the other guy is sitting there and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? That also would not have worked yeah. two or three seasons ago. There, There's so much of this episode that builds on what we have come to know about these characters and what they have come to know about each other. And it's yeah. never showy about it. It never calls attention to itself. But it's definitely there. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's such a change from in the first times we saw Skinner and Scully, she was a little deferential towards her boss, and after all the shit they've been through, they've earned the fact that she can burst into his office and start getting pissed off at him. They're they they they're a little beyond formalities right now. And, and I think you're right, the, the trust that she and Mulder have developed over this time, uh, whether we buy that or not based on the, fact, the way that they treat each other, but Another story, uh, because she does see him talking with the terrorist, and she does, it's very obvious that Mulder, ha- Mulder helps him escape in a bit, and if this had happened in season one, a couple weeks after Internal Affairs asked her to check up on him, she would immediately make a beeline for there, because who the hell is this guy? She's figured out a, a thing he's doing wrong, and... Now she's she knows him well enough to know if you're doing this, there's a reason for this. Why are you doing this? What's happening? What's going on? I have the right to know this. Yeah, like are you being blackmailed? Yeah. Have you actually gone over to the dark side? Are you helping this guy? Like what 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 is going on? And 
Yeah, I think that's really right. And I also think that, that you know, David Duchovny plays it very well. Um, although I don't know, <laughs> I don't know to what degree he really plays it any differently than how Mulder normally reacts to her, which is kind of interesting. Uh, uh, like uh, a, a lot of it is in, in the writing. Um where he really is just brushing her off. And, you know, obviously some of it is Mulder wants to, to protect her. You know, I think that, that yeah. uh, you know, a key example of that is is when he ignores her um, after the hearing. And and he knows that maybe he couldn't do a very good job of keeping this from her. Uh, but he, I think at this point, like, the one thing that Mulder doesn't really get about Scully is how tenacious oh, yeah. she is, which is kind of weird. But he should know that she's not going to just let this go and that she is not going to just accept that he is being weird and cagey and evasive. She is going to follow him. She is going to try and figure out what is going on. And that is going to put both her at risk yeah. and, and Mulder at risk because, of course, if the militia guys find out that Mulder is working for the FBI and not for them, things are not going to go well which of course is what happens but (laughs) it's it's a little it's a little it's a little uh i I don't know if it's confusing but it it is it is an interesting read on it i think i mean i do think that some of the plot of the episode i felt like i feel like this is an episode where the plot would make a lot more sense on a rewatch because it is a little more convoluted because it is a bunch of players and a bunch of weird things and especially not knowing where it goes and what's happening, whose loyalties are where. Um, but base in some ways, this feels like one of those episodes that's going to comment on other events. I mean, this is an episode in which a government organization uses a smoke screen in order to, uh, hide, their biological weapons research, essentially. And I feel like in some ways this is a necessary episode to make because it puts a more realistic take on the cons- the major conspiracy plot of the X-Files, which is the government is pretending aliens because of something. If the government is doing black ops stuff, it's more... St- if the government is doing black ops stuff, it more likely looks like this rather than uh, the traditional mythology episodes. And again, I think that's important because that's kind of one of the points that the X-Files as a series is trying to make. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate the fact that a lot, you know, this it is loosely tied into the conspiracy, as you say, but it's not a conspiracy episode. In a lot of ways, it is similar to some other episodes that we've seen where it doesn't become obvious that it is a conspiracy episode until the very end. And, you know, this is literally like in the, at the very end, like the last minute or two. Um, But it works, it works really well. And it also ends on a very ambiguous note because you don't really know what all this was for. Yeah. Um, And this may even have nothing to do with the cigarette smoking man. He may be completely unaware of this. They may be completely unaware of him. The syndicate may have nothing to do with this. But I believe that the X-Files has created a world in which everybody is making these ridiculous conspiracies and all of this stuff is happening everywhere. Again, stuff that doesn't even have anything to do with each other. Yeah, no, I think that's right because, well, part of it too is that it, 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 it's kind of indicating that the conspiracy is so vast yeah. that they don't. I mean, this probably doesn't have anything to do with aliens. Who the hell knows what this has to do with? It's just CIA black ops shit. Um but I think what is also very, I mean, we talk a lot about how the X-Files is 
you know, a product of its time, and it certainly is. And we have to remember that a lot of this malicious stuff was going on in the 90s. Uh, mm. and, and it's using that to a very particular effect. I mean, certainly what they're doing is more horrific than just blowing up a building. This is a metaphor for blo- blowing up a building in a way. Yeah. But it's, I mean, this is the the only, like, real X-Files, like, part of the episode where you just get these, like, gory, melted bodies, you know, which, I mean, that, yeah. I, I, I still have nightmares about that that uh, movie theater scene, for instance. Um, oh, yeah, that's, uh, the, the X-Files gives us gore sometimes, and it's always horrible. But I guess what it comes down to is that, like, this militia was a real thing. I mean, the the new Spartans mm. were a real militia, but but this guy is who's the double agent who's spying on on Mulder and Scully when they're talking about it in his apartment is actually working for the FBI, working for someone that is on Mulder's side, is on the government side. So they're they're essentially like using. It's not that they're trying to stop the militia; it's that they are using the militia to their own ends they are essentially subverting the point of the militia and they're they are making it a a an arm of the government that is that they have like they they really don't have any accountability and they have sort of a um it's a it's a disinformation campaign in a certain sense and well i thought i i there's the conversation when she's talking with the uh guy at the cdc and he says oh it's it's ingenious it's a scratch and stiff sniff thing basically Basically, the process of contacting is what it's what spreads and activates it, and that's kind of what's going on between the government and the militia. By spreading this stuff, they are doing the government's work for them. They are offloading the responsibility from the government onto themselves. They are playing right into the CIA's hands in this. Yeah, and I mean, they don't even really know it, which I think is interesting because, yeah. you know, apparently this guy is so adept at uh subverting the militia for his own aims that that they don't even know what's happening but i but i think that that the other interesting thing about the pine bluff variant is i can easily i mean i can see why the the militia would think that Mulder would possibly be on their side i can easily see how Mulder could convince them that he's on their side uh, I mean, again, I'll still have nightmares about that finger-breaking scene. Um, there's a lot of things in this episode that I will continue to have nightmares about. But what I want to ask you is, do you see a version of Mulder that would be so disenchanted by the conspiracy that he actually would help this militia? Not this militia. But... I could see Mulder making certain bad decisions or trusting the wrong people or – but I don't know because there was the whole – he's considered making a deal with the devil in the form of the cigarette smoking man. Now, they have been doing very interesting things with the cigarette smoking man in the terms of defanging him and making him more or less mysterious, but – at one point, he was the show's incarnation of Satan, and Mulder was considering doing that, which is when Skinner kind of interceded for him. So again, I can see Mulder considering working with some unsavory people. Maybe not in this way. Maybe he would be a little more clear about what he would or would not do were he doing it for real. But – and certainly I don't think he would do something that would target innocence in this way. But if somebody was going to take down the syndicate, I think he would help them. 
Yeah, I can see that for sure. And because I, I guess why I wonder about that is is why do you think Scully is? I mean, do you think it's just a it, 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 it's just a suspicion on her part? She doesn't actually think that he's working with them, or that she doesn't want him to be working with them. But she is going to find out what is going on because she knows that there is some part of Mulder that could possibly want to do this. I I, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of history between the two of them, and yeah. I think, frankly, the case is that that Scully may think that he does have this in him. Yeah, I mean, the sense I get from the early parts of this episode is just she sees something that is is very bizarre to her. Again, she sees very something very clearly that he helped this guy escape. That's what everything looks like. That's what likely happened. And I think for her, it's more, why would he do this? Mulder has to have a good reason. He has to, are we mistaken about the terrorist group? Is he working with them for some reason? Is he double agenting? Has he gone off the reservation? Like, there are so many different possibilities. uh, But she needs to figure out a reason because she did see this. It's not as if she's just suspicious for no reason. She has a little bit of evidence. Nothing that she can necessarily prove, but then again, of course, if she did go to Skinner, it would be enough for him. Of course, Skinner knows what's going on, but anyway. <laughs> Skinner always knows what's going on. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think, yeah, Skinner is so on the ball, and they sometimes forget that a little bit. Yeah, Skinner is like the one person on the show that I think has only messed up like once, and that was when someone was trying to frame him for murder. So good, good for you, Skinner. I think the other thing that I briefly want to touch on is is just how good this episode looks and and sort of how quickly it moves oh, yeah. because I mean that that bank robbery scene for instance I mean that could have been oh, looked at like fucking dog day afternoon or something it was it was done really well and that that's I think you know talking about that bank robbery scene in particular and how the tension really ratchets up and how. You don't really get a good sense of where everyone is in relation to each other, which I which I think is on mm. purpose because it's kind of intended to uh, give you Mulder's perspective where he's frankly not sure what's going on. He was very quickly sucked into this with almost no warning and doesn't really understand what's happening or who these people are, what they're doing. Um but what's what I think is is also uh, which ties back to our discussion about would Mulder actually do this? Would he actually help this militia? Is you know he hesitates to to kill the innocent guy who happened to push the button or almost push the button or something, and I think it's played a little bit too long. Frankly, I mean I think it's the one part of the episode which feels a little bit like they were stalling a little bit for time because. Mulder was really stalling there and he was really struggling with that and it it just it went a, it went a little bit too overboard and kind of pushing the idea that Mulder was having like real thoughts about doing it which he really wasn't I mean he was never going yeah. to kill that guy but at the same time and I don't see... it does at least tell us a little bit about Yes, Mulder's still an okay dude like he's not going to yeah. murder someone in cold blood yeah, and I am a little surprised he didn't try to be like, why would I kill him? He just tried to push a button, like, who gives a shit? Like, let's not waste time on this. We have one minute. Yeah. I I, I thought he would protest a little bit, but then again, I don't know. They, like, It's not like killing that guy is the point of that. He's a bank teller who panicked. Right, exactly. And I, like, I, 
Well, and I think also that Mulder's a little bit afraid for his life because he doesn't know what's going on and yeah. he doesn't know what these men are capable of, frankly. Yeah, and you you saying all that, also the beginning of the episode has a very similar thing when they're tracking this guy. And I, I, I think it was interesting how you said that you don't really know where everybody is and that's kind of the case in the opening scene, which is mimicking the fact that they have very incomplete information, that they don't have a full view of everything, that they... Are not that that they have a lot of intelligence, but not enough to fully catch this guy. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's actually a really good them. point. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice parallelism there between the beginning and the ending of the episode for sure. And I think visually as well, yeah. of course, because you know what what do we get in that episode? We never really get a clear view of the situation. We only get pieces of it in that the same way that the people in the van are getting the pieces of the information, and they're even getting less information than we are because they're just getting this sort of like grainy, you know, VHS whatever yeah. footage of something that that they don't even really know is what's happening. And Scully is. You know, she's caught in that van. She really can't leave. You know, she's not she's not able yeah. to do anything until she's able to until everything goes, uh, you know, everything goes uh, foobar and she has to get out of there and try and find Mulder. But essentially, it's it's just a it's an episode that is really playing around with, I think, our expectations about what we know and when we know it and, and how we piece it together. Mm. Well, the thing with. What I find funny is that, yeah, this episode does have a lot of really good set pieces. Those two scenes, the finger-breaking scene, the the movie theater scenes, like, these are – and Sheepman episodes don't really have that. All Souls didn't have any of that. Um, Actually, no, because now I'm thinking back to uh, El Mundo Hira, and that did have a bunch of – sequences like that maybe he is good at writing that except these ones are a little more exciting maybe they're a little better directed maybe they're um again maybe this is more his wheelhouse than straight science fiction supernatural fantasy yeah i i I think that certainly could be the case and good good job i guess i mean we'll have to see what the next episode he writes is maybe it's terrible i don't i don't remember what it is but we will find out el mundo hero Dose. <laughs> God, let's hope not. All right. Well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have enjoyed this and want to share your thoughts, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at tuninginshow.com. As we reminded you earlier, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It supports our other podcast, Truckabout. We are talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes, 30 Days and Counterpoint this week. And as well, if you give us $5 a month or more, you can check out our patron specials, one bonus episode each and every month for people, listeners like you, that give us $5 a month or more. This month, we recorded one on the movie Contact. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for Tuning In. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. All right, we have done it, Richard. We have reached the end of the fifth season of The X-Files. I didn't think it would ever happen. It did happen. happen. You say that every season, and every season it happens. I Well, it's like Christmas or like waking up in the morning. I don't believe it until it's done. Okay, you're you're aware of the world while you're sleeping. That's very weird, and you might want to go see a sleep specialist. Uh Next week, we're going to be talking about, and we'll see if my French lessons have helped, because this is in French. 
Next week, we're going to be talking about Folia de and the end. That's English. Mac, why do you...